0: Hey everybody,
1: welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm Peter Bolden. And I'm Craig Spodak. Dentistry can sometimes feel lonely. Having over 45 years of combined experience and the chops to run eight successful practices, our mission is simple. Pay it forward and share what we've learned. That's why we developed the Bulletproof Pathway to help you navigate your way to ultimate success in dentistry. And don't forget to join our community's conversation over at Bulletproof.Dental now let's get to it hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the bulletproof dental practice podcast peter and i are very excited today as we have dr chris salerno on we've been wanting to connect with you for quite some time so good to have you here buddy
2: Thanks, man. I'm I'm really excited to be here, and and same thing. I, I've I've been looking forward to talking to you at some point, so no time like the present. Exactly.
1: So big news. I mean, what do we got? Like sixty days into this, essentially, um, you are now Chief Dental Officer of Tend. That's pretty cool. Is that did I get that title correct? CDO, Chief Dental yep.
2: Officer. CD, CDO. It's a so the, the the business has been around for almost two years, and this position was just created as their. You know, they're they're a late stage startup and so they're growing rapidly and need to create new infrastructure as they get along. And uh I'm very lucky, uh very fortunate that they they thought of me when when it was time to create this position. Great. That
0: involved I- you doing a lot of having to let go of a lot of uh obligations as we were kind of talking before. Yeah. You sell I had- your practice, relinquish dental I- I- economics.
2: Yep, selling my practice to my business partner, uh, which is great. Uh she's wonderful. She's her and I started the practice twelve years ago. So uh, it's in a great position, even, you know, pre post COVID it's, it's doing really well. It's out on on Melville, Long Island. And so Dr. Aaron Thomas, my partner has taken that over and uh, then transitioned out of my role as chief editor of dental economics. I was doing that for about seven years and uh, Pam Maraglino-Muniz is, is taking over that position. Uh, So it's like bittersweet. It's hard to like, not do, I still see patients, but not, not at the extent I was, of course, a few months I, ago.
0: I always was in admiration, Chris, of watching. I was like, how does he have, how does he, an editor of a magazine and has a practice? I was always thinking back then, like, "How's it? how's it? I'll let you
2: happen? in on a secret. So the, the, it, you, you really can't be chief editor of dental economics and have a full-time practice. Like, okay. there would be no way to do that, to be practicing five, six days a week and doing that. So Dr. Pam has a consolidated schedule. I had one and I had a business partner, which really helped, right? Like the days yeah. I wasn't in the office, she was seeing patients. So that's part of it. Now, if someone like like Josh Austin, uh, our, our buddy here, who is practicing like so much, he's practicing five, maybe even six days a week, I'm not even sure. And he's got a regular column that he does uh, in dental economics, plus his busy lecturing schedule like that i i marvel at how he does that juggles all of that my secret was just not being full-time chair side for for all those
1: mm-hmm. i think it's important because everybody's looking at each other and we're always comparing comparing our lives and uh we have to take into consideration that many people practice but pr- all practice is not created equal i know many dental educators that have doctors that are aspiring to be like them i'm like you actually really don't want to probably be like them they're dental educators <laughs> they actually see Two patients a week, or or you know they generate two hundred grand of production in their clinical schedule. They actually make their money doing this or that. So we try to, I think we compare ourselves on a, unfairly, and there's a lot of shame in that. Like, how do I, I can't do all that?
2: I'm glad you called that out. I totally agree that that's just something that's not taught enough in in dental school. And and I know they're like add that to the list of things that aren't taught in dental school. But exactly, it's, <laughs> just, it's just different business models, right? Like you can go. Co- Uh, work in private practice be like a total stud clinician posting all these great cases online these nowadays um, and and looking like you're just you know living your best life but you know maybe your business actually isn't even that busy right it's it's a high-end gorgeous practice and you're doing beautiful dentistry but maybe from a from a business standpoint it's it's it, you know, you're, you're, you're faking it more than you're making it online. right? Uh, And that's, that's not a bad thing, right? Maybe that, that dentist. Yeah.
1: Maybe you're getting $9,000 a crown. So you only, you are only doing one of those a day, but it's not real. It's not real. It's not replicable for the average guy, like or average gal.
2: Correct. If you couldn't have every dentist in the United States practicing that way, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't work. Yeah. So I think that's important. And, and you can't, it's hard to even put them into buckets. There's just so many ways that a dentist can earn a living these days as a business, especially as a business owner. Uh, but even not as a business owner, there's so many pathways to having a successful career. And and that's a beautiful thing that there's not just the one way, right? right. Like, like when our parents' generation and, and the generation before them were, were in dentistry, you know, there were only a couple of ways to do it. Right. And now there's some, mm-hmm. and that's, I see that as a good thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, like even, you know, even like Craig and myself, you're right. Like we, you know, obviously Chris, you know, we have summits and, and masterminds and stuff. So we've kind of gotten into that side, but you know, it's just interesting how you say, like, there's no one path that works because you. Get, I think dentistry is fascinating. Cause you get to kind of carve your own. You can be, you can be just kind of you know, you can coast, so to speak, or you can have a pretty good lifestyle with the four days a week. You know, and once you get your license, like you don't have to have a stressful situation or you can have these no limits career where you can go very entrepreneurial or you can get an academia. I mean, there's just so many, many routes. And and uh, like you said, unfortunately, some of our colleagues, we hear podcasts or we see videos or we see lectures. And we're like, I want that.
1: And like like Craig is saying, like, yeah, do you really do you, do you really want that? Right? What's well, just or- recognizing what business that person's in. You know, like I, uh, there's a dental educator that I'm friendly with, and he's out in California. He's a great guy. He does wonderful things for dentistry, but he makes his money teaching dentists. So if you're a dentist, that's admiring what he's doing and want to replicate that for your clinical practice, it's a non-viable business plan. Right, right. So you can learn, but if you want to have his schedule and his, his clinical load, you, you, you know, he probably grosses 250 or 300 a year, which is fine, but it's, it's not going to, you know, what, what's paying for his life is his educational seminar. I think that's important. And I actually, I would love it if more people would disclose that, like, Hey guys, I make my money this way or that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't actually do it through clinical practice. So before you try to, you know, do the clinical practice of what I'm doing, it won't, it won't meet your needs. I think that'd be
2: refreshing to hear that. It would be very refreshing. And I doubt we'll see it anytime soon. <laughs> exactly. I, think, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> we a we had bit- too we transparent. Somebody, for well, them. we had
1: a we had another guy uh, on the podcast. Great guy, great educator, and he's like, "Look, you know, my hygienist is, um, you know, got injured or on maternity leave or something like that. So for the last six months, I've just been doing hygiene all day. I'm like, um, okay, I'm like, that's fine, but it's like." that's not gonna generate the life that he shows on his Instagram. He's actually making that money by, from dentists. So I think it's just important.
2: So I, I learned about the different business models when I first got out of dental school. The first gig I had was- it When was did you get issue. out,
1: Chris? Uh, I think it was
0: 2005, I thought. I, I graduated
2: 05, so from my GPR, 06. So 2006, Six, okay. I start working in private practice and I worked for these two gentlemen, lovely folks. They taught me a lot. They were two different practices- uh, in two different parts of town. And they had, they had, it was very interesting. It was like, this is like pre DSO. They, they were trying to merge together under the same brand. Um, and they were trying to get other dentists to do this too. the idea of being cross-trained staff and share them and share marketing dollars and all that kind of stuff. It was an interesting idea ahead of its time and it never really got off the ground. But so I worked in these two different practices that were very, very different practices they just happened to have the same brand. And that was it. That's where, that's where the big similarities began and ended. Right. They didn't have the same practice management software or or adoption of technology, blah, 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 blah. So, um, they, uh, one of the dentists is what made me think of it. One of the dentists had a hygienist part-time wasn't super busy. There's a whole bunch of reasons why that, that business wasn't, wasn't doing so great. But the other dentist didn't have a hygienist was more old school and uh was doing all the hygiene himself and so they would come together once a month and I was invited as their associate that they shared and we'd have dinner and they'd usually just like complain about things like not really move the business forward like this was just like their like you know venting session the other venting session exactly <laughs> so and the one dentist that didn't have a hygienist because like, oh, so busy today was so busy Oh, I just good. Could, couldn't get room to breathe. Yeah. And sure. didn't even did took a, even take a pee break. Yeah. Yeah. I of love that. He did love have a that. busy schedule, but he also, here's the thing. He took five visits to do a crown. He did prep temp brought back for impression. Then he had his coping trying because he was still doing PFM's. This is, this is back in the day, right? Then he did a bisque big trying and then he did an insert. So five visits for every single crown. So that'll add some some time to your schedule, won't it, right? Oh
0: that'll, my god. That'll, that'll or some attrition to your of patient base to your schedule. Oh
1: my god. My patients, sold yeah, them my on. patients love coming in for five visits. They
2: love it. They just love they, it. Well, they really
1: do. Cuz yeah, we talk about did. things and my patients never A very
2: old timey kind of practice. And so he also then, but and he didn't have a hygienist. So he his half his day was doing hygiene. And oh. he would complain about it like, "Oh, god, this is so this is crazy. Wasting my time." I'm like, "Hire a hygienist. What are you doing?" But so, but in his mind, he was so busy.
0: What so, What do you think? I want to. I I think there's still some of that lingering in today's in oh, our industry today. Is. So we talk me, about that all the time. People, where do you think that comes from, Chris? Like something like that. The menta- like what is that mentality? The need to be busy. The the oh, need that yeah. I don't want to spend money because they're quote unquote an expense and a lost leader. Like what's the mentality on that? You you think that from that hygiene yeah. example? Yeah.
2: I, it, so I think it's it's. Fundamental business understanding that is lacking mm. of our, in mm-hmm. our profession. So, busyness does not equal productivity. Okay. Of course, all agree with that, right? Amen. So you can have a day of running around like an idiot doing denture adjustments, and then when you look at your 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 you know your your uh, your P uh, and yeah. sheets or whatever, you' gonna be like, "What? Zero dollars? Like, what the heck happened?" Right? Um, so, busyness does not equal productivity. That's one thing. And then the next layer on top of that is productivity does not equal profitability. Right. So these are three related, but separate concepts. And you absolutely can have a, pre- a business model where you practice, you know, four days a week from whatever hour to whatever hour. And you're seeing, you know, like LVI protocol, you're seeing like three patients a day mm-hmm. and it's high productivity. You're charging, you know, you're able to, to command a nice fee for service case. Like I know that's like kind of a dream that, that we all think we want. And, uh, and you're doing, you know, maybe even more complex prosthodontic cases, perhaps, right? Um, that's, that sounds great. A lot of dentists would sign up for that. That is not necessarily busy, but it's certainly productive. And if they're running their schedule the, the right way, it can also be highly profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are three distinct concepts. And I think whatever business model a dentist is going to entertain, they should think about those, those three things and how they are related, but not equal.
1: So I have a little bit of a contrarian opinion on that I, I think yeah. that dentists don't actually care as much about business they, they should they don't what what trumps everything is ego. So I've just seen in 22 uh. years and having dozens of associates I, I, I realized that people have two distinct needs to be profitable and make money and completely different need to be busy. Because you know what it's like, we all started out on our first day and the phone rang and we pick it up and it was our mom and it was like, oh shit, I thought it was a patient. Like, you know, we were all disappointed of that. And the pain of sitting around for patients is so great. It, it, it's an ego bruise. So I've had doctors that I've known about that are, you know, three, four days a week producing, you know, collecting a million dollars a year and saying, well, and I got a lot of free time on my schedule. Imagine yeah. if I just went on like four or five or six different insurances and I could yeah. be booked up three weeks in advance. So and then they wind up doing that and they wind up making less money, but they're kind of happy that they're busy. So yeah. I think it's an independent need to be busy, feel needed and wanted.
2: That's very interesting. I don't I don't disagree with that at all. I would say then so another side, and I know we're speaking very broadly, but another side of that is the dentists who are on say, you know a handful of pl- of plans, and they're too busy. They're having capacity mm-hmm. issues. They now have to figure out how do I add more time to a schedule, hire an associate, maybe drop some plans. They're actually getting burned out. Uh, yeah, they're right. not bored, they're burned. And uh, they're trying to then figure out how to get a little less busy and get back some peace of mind, work-life balance and increase their profitability or at least not lose profitability at the same time, right?
1: But it's kind of like a runaway train, that insurance thing. And Peter and I talk about this all the time. If you're in a couple of uh, PPOs, And you start to get really, really busy, you're booked up, you know, three, four, six weeks to get a new patient in. an Mm -hmm. average fee for service patient will not wait six weeks. So what do you get? You get more insurance patients and you actually, it's like, it's like weeds in the garden. The weeds overtake the vegetables. So the fee for the PPO practice will just like be a runaway train. You won't be able to catch it because the fee for service patients will just dwindle. I mean, all of us can afford a cleaning and we don't want to wait six weeks to get in on those
2: places. Yeah. So my in my practice, so there's twelve years uh in I think about it was a and it was total scratch practice on Long Island. There's plenty of dentists there. It's a suburban mm-hmm. environment, but I'd call it like urban suburban. Uh, I think that's important to to mention that we're not in like a rural area. Um, so there are plenty of dentists in our neighborhood and it took a few years to get really up and running. By like year starting around six, like we were getting busy, right? And the money was coming along with it. But as we started to hit capacity issues, and as my partner are just like, Oh, my gosh, our schedule is already overbooked for the day. Plus, now these new emergencies that are coming in, like this is, this is insane. The paycheck was nice. But we were, you know, starting to get burned out pretty quickly. Mm. So um, we entertained the idea and eventually pulled the trigger on dropping one of our plans. And it was fantastic. It was the best because of exactly the reason you just mentioned, we saw we were booking out patients that wouldn't want to wait for us, right? They were booking them out because we didn't have room for them. And the weeds were were making, we're not creating that room for the, you know, the, the nice hearty uh, pumpkins. Let's go with that metaphor. So, sure. you know, they're, they're the problem is I think it's hard for dentists to realize that for them to have that perspective, right? It it takes constant conversations with their front desk team to say, oh yeah, by the way, we're getting calls for new patients and I told them it's a month and they said they'd call back and uh, no, they haven't called back yet, right? Like it takes... There's no easy report from most practice management software that'll tell you that you're losing new patients. There are ways to get to to now start capturing this stuff, but not a lot of dentists are using it. And that's the kind of thing we have to look out for uh, so that we know when it's, it's to give dentists that confidence to start making more room in their schedule.
0: I love that you did that. Like, so, because, you know, you hear this and I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of trepidation with saying, like, I don't really want to do that because I don't know
1: which lever to pull. That's, you know, which one is it kind of thing. Hey everyone, newsflash, save this date. Our 2022 summit will be taking place on June 2nd through 5th in Nash, Vegas, Tennessee. Sign up to receive summit updates at bulletproofsummit.com or stay connected with all things Bulletproof by joining our network at bulletproof.dental.
0: So what was that inflection point for you where you're like, you know what? Like obviously being too booked out, but kind of walk through, you know, the fears that you had, because we get the, I mean, I think this is a very, very good topic. And we, and we approach it a lot. Greg and I get, it, get it a lot of people. I mean, my practice is a bit in totally fee for service from the start, but it's, but it's, it's something that well, I have some one of your, people. Some of
1: your practices are. People. Well, one
0: practice is yes. You're right. And kind of phasing that out, but almost like you don't know which one um, sometimes. And so did you kind of titrate all the way into fee for service, Chris?
2: Yeah, no, we still participate with with a few of the the quote big good quote unquote PPOs, um, but we whittled Come. down uh, one of the big ones. So first, I would do an analysis. We we did analysis and it said that like seven percent of our of our active patient population was on this PPO. Mm-hmm. And we decided that that was within our 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 tolerance. You know, mm-hmm. we, if it was fifty percent, we'd have to like take a minute and <laughs> evaluate. But 7%, we're like, yeah, could we use 7% more time in our schedule? It was kind of the way we looked at it. We're I like, love yeah, that. Sounds, sounds about right, you know? If
0: everyone left, so to speak, from this plan, would, could we tolerate left. this this decrease in patient flow? And the answer was yes. So are like, let's do it, you know?
2: That's exactly right. right. I love and it. We did love lose it. A bunch. And we did lose a bunch, and that's okay. We, we wish them well. They can go find another dentist who participates with that plan, and and that's great. It's, it's all good. I, we did have I some. Got,
1: I got to a similar answer, but with the fee reduction. So we looked at, you know, this, we looked at a certain PPO at a certain time. We had a thousand patients on it for practice like ours that represented, you know, a low double digit percentage, but we saw the fee decrease from UCR. So -hmm. let's just say, for example, was 50% decrease. So we said, if we lose 50% of these people, we'll still break even. Uh, That's good. So, and we wound up keeping 50% 50% or greater of that of that PPO. One of the things i like to tell patients is that even if you're not considering jumping off of a PPO, at least create time blocks in your schedule where you create patients some or room. I'm sorry?
0: You said one thing I like to tell patients about jumping uh, thank off. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. One thing I like to tell dentists is that if you're not thinking of jumping off the PPO, you should at least create a fee for service new patient block Mm-hmm. Allow the space in your schedule two or three or what one, whatever it is, but just hold that as the Holy grail until maybe 48 hours or 72, and then fill it up, but at least create that space for that fee-for-service patient to show up. Because if you're you booked out far in advance. You're right? Saying, if you're booked yes. out far in advance, correct. So maybe you don't really know, maybe it's seasonal, maybe you just acquired a practice. You're thinking about bringing an associate. It doesn't really matter the the mechanism, but at least put a block in there and you'll see what starts happening to your fee-for-service patient numbers.
2: Yeah, I just don't think they'll
1: wait, they'll wait.
2: Yeah, agreed. So I look at it as dentist capacity and hygienist capacity. So if, if your hygienists are fully booked, or darn near fully booked, you know, for say, what, this tolerance goes towards how long do you think a new patient would wait for an exam? Oh, right?
1: and what's so, your answer to that? What do you think a new patient, fever service patient wants to get in for a cleaning? What do you think
2: they'll wait? You should before? not be, I think it's good to be about 90%-ish booked, say a couple of months out. If you are a, a, like 90%-ish, right? So, so, so if you're 100% booked two months out, forget it. Okay, Forget so let me,
1: let me just ask you a different way. How yeah. long do you think a patient, a new patient will wait to get established? a fee-for-service oh, new patient no. will wait?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I'm curious
1: because gonna... I have a number in my head, Pete does too. I'm sure they're yep. all three different numbers.
2: I think I will, I will put an asterisk on my answer here. If you are Michael Appa, you get a longer
1: wait Agreed. time. Agreed. If so let's not are, talk. Yeah.
2: Okay. Now I know yeah. there's only like there's him or Larry Rosenthal, like. But if you have created for yourself such demand because you're doing more niche dentistry, or you're the only dentist that does cosmetic dentistry for 50 miles or whatever. Understood. Yeah. You get a you get a buffer here that's bigger mm-hmm. than everyone else. it
1: Whereas, doesn't apply to the, you. But for 99.99998% yes. of us, correct. But for
2: the, for the rest <laughs> of us, for the rest of us, I want to my personal number i want to get someone in within two weeks
1: yeah what's your number peter how long do you think i mean Thanks. obviously they'll wait, but what do you think the in the, the point the data point is two weeks uh, max I agree. yeah I, I i say 10 days uh, 10 days to two weeks so like yeah i'm gonna find someone else just this time you know i'll get back in to see dr Salerno. it's dr. that Bola. fine
0: line though chris of being there's a scarcity thing meaning a fee-for-service patient is accustomed to wanting the luxury the top wanting the scarcity i can get that kind of thing Well, look at how we So not creating this. Oh, we can see you right now. Like, you don't want to be like, oh, we
1: actually we can see you tomorrow. Right. So there's got to be some kind of scarcity created. Look at the other industries like you could fly to London tonight. You could probably figure out a way to fly to New York. You're going to pay through the nose, but you're on that airplane mm-hmm. the guy to the left paid six hundred dollars because he booked a year and a half ago the guy to the right paid you know eight hundred dollars and you just paid thirty eight hundred dollars for the same flight but the market allows you to dictate what you want you're just gonna pay more but mm. our practices are not allowing our patients to choose that we're not we're making the decision like, for them mm-hmm. we don't have a mechanism
2: I we don't have a model. dynamic
0: pricing model do we craig
2: and we do not that's a very very interesting point and i think it relates to uh, I hate to use the word entitlement because that doesn't sound great, but it, this this the perception from the patient that this is a healthcare service, and so that they are you know, even if it's just a cleaning, quote unquote, they feel that they need to be able to to be seen for that service at the same fee that everyone else is. I think if mm-hmm. if I think patients, well, patients, I think customers are accustomed to paying more for expedited or exemplary yep. higher quality service, right? But I think when it comes to health care, oh, routine health care, not going to see A.P.P.A., but routine healthcare, I think they want to have the same price as everyone else, if anything, a lower price. Uh, <laughs> I, I respectfully disagree, but I mean, I just I oh, think they want that. Yeah, uh, But I think that's, know, I don't think you
0: could, I, I agree with Chris. I don't think you can do that. I think it would become looking too opportunistic as a clinician, meaning well, right, then like
1: tell that to the MDVIP guys and all the other, and the Cleveland Clinic executive physical and all that. I mean, I just, I, whilst I agree at a certain level, I just think there's a segment of the, of the market and it's more fee-for-service, it's a more fee-for-service segment, they yeah. are just accustomed because society is training in this way that if I, I should be able to get in, and I will go to the provider that will get me in. And I don't yeah. think it's a cost so, thing. They I think what get... you're
2: talking about is like concierge dentistry, right? right? So there is a market, and it is definitely a fee-for-service market. There is a market for concierge dentistry, let's call it, where people will happily pay more, uh, and, and, understand that if they're going to get this extra level of service that they're going to be paying for it. And if anything, they get to brag about it. Look at how much I paid for this service or right. anything, right? But I don't think that makes up the majority of patients, but I agree that there's a market for it. I agree. with Yeah. You.
1: But I, I, and I want to belabor this point, but the fee for service patient is paying more already. Mm-hmm. So insurance, if we really want to distill it down to its basic, it is a discount. You know, because mm-hmm. the, the the minimums that are paid have not really evolved over the last couple of decades. It's just that you get a proprietary fee plan that's reduced. So by virtue, the fee for service patient is the premium paying patient, you know, but it's, mm-hmm. it is what it is. I just think that we're not even, but by booking ourselves six months and eight months in advance and feeling great about our business models, we're actually cutting at those patients out, regardless if they're VIP premium entitled, whatever, they can't even interact with us, even if they. Even at their normal fees, we just say we don't want your business or we're not we don't have room for your business
2: yeah yeah i i uh I'll agree uh just like that dentist I was referencing before who who got to vent and and brag vent brag, humble brag, like oh, I was so busy today so busy today I think that that's uh that is a mentality that many dentists have is they get to to brag about how busy they are when really again, I think who, who cares? I care about how right. profitable and productive you were. That is a more nuanced and interesting conversation, right? So yeah, um, but it's definitely not the common conversation. If we got around yeah. a hundred dentists
1: at yes. random, we'd find more of those that you're talking about than the ones that are talking this way. Unfortunately,
2: absolutely, I agree. I agree. Yeah.
1: Chris is being the
0: editor and being, I'm sure you've been involved in so many conversations from, from an apex situation in dentistry, like knowing what trends are coming, knowing, you know, just the most innovative technologies, all the things, right. So you've, you've had a transition from from a practice owner to an editor and practice owner. And now you've kind of, now you've transitioned into going into a more of a, of a consolidation standpoint, right. From a, from a DSO, being the chief dental officer, chief dental Yeah. Chief dental officer. Yeah. Right. So basically that's just clinical lead, right? I'm guessing
2: clinical lead. So it's an executive level position where I'm, I'm overseeing all of the different operations, especially.
0: So what would you say kind of is, you know, let's call it, let's call it the end of uh, the end of August, 2021, what would you say kind of is the most pressing thing that you're seeing from a, from a dental perspective? Meaning we always talk about this, Chris. I always say self awareness or situational awareness from the dentist is one of the most important things. You've got to pick yourself up. You got to pick your head out of the sand, look around, see what's coming down the pike. Even if you're not interested, whether it's technology, whether it's a DSO, whether it's new marketing techniques, you've got to pick your, you got to pick your head out of the sand. You can't just get, stay in your op for your entire career and expect. Uh, expect these vulnerabilities not to attack you. And that's kind of the thesis of Bulletproof, right? It's learning all these things that we do so that we can kind of insulate ourselves from all these attacks. So what what is top of mind right now for you in, in our industry? And if you were talking to a group of dentists, you would say, hey, here's, here's what I'm thinking about. Therefore, kind of like, I want to tell you guys about this.
2: So the, I would say, I talked to, into to my audiences about a whole host of different things that I think are of, of significant importance. But if I had to pick the one that I write about and lecture about the most that I think helps set the stage for all of the other things is the concept of a target market and the concept that dentists need to stop trying to be everything to everyone and try to be something very special to target demographics. We're taught in dental school to just go out and do dentistry, hang up a shingle. We're taught to, you know, try to treat everyone and do as much dentistry as we can. And I think that that makes us a little less special. As we are going to see an increase in the number of dentists, the ADA just re-updated their just updated their their research uh, in May saying we're going to see more dentists working more dentist hours through 2040. So for the next 20 years, we're going to continue really? to have more that- dentists perking. That's in part because of a slow retirement, but it's also, as I'm sure you're aware, the increasing number of the, the inflow of dentists that are coming from more new dental schools. And more schools. I, too. I right? didn't know that. I, I didn't know schools. there was more yeah, schools. More. Yeah, yeah. So
1: there's more schools by a net fact. Uh, do you know, Correct. Chris, how many more schools net? Because I know some have closed.
2: Oh, I don't know. And that's that's always kind of floating around a little bit and they get delayed. I mean, it, it, it seems armchair, like there's a new school at least every one. Every, <laughs> yeah, at least around here, there's I new mean, ones. Once a year, once every two years. So, and it, without even getting into student debt and all that stuff, just the inflow and delayed outflow. So we're going to, even with baby boomers retiring, even with, this is one of the hmm. things they looked at, um, that like half the dental student population roughly is, is female. And then people have said, well, maybe they are only going to work part-time because of the raised family. They looked at every possible way you could look at this, and the supply of dentists is going to increase for the next 20 years. So competition wow, cool. is going up. Now, Wait, going to increase
0: I should, continually until 2040,
2: Chris? That is as far out as their projection goes. It's not that it's going to stop at that point for some reason. That's just hmm. as far as their models comfortably. Okay, align. all right. Now, that number was 2032, I think it was, was 2032, a year or so ago when they did some of this earlier research. So they came back like a year later and said, oh, did we say 2032? We we meant eight more years. They went even (laughs) longer. They're like, no, no, it's even, it's getting crazy. Wow, okay. okay. Now, arguably, the demand, so the supply is going up. The demand for our care is relatively flat, in my humble opinion. It's relatively flat. We saw an increase. This is all Marco Vujic's research from the ADA Health Policy Institute. It's great great material to read. He wrote a few years ago about this. Um, the, the demand for our care as referenced by, uh, this is the metric he used, was just the amount of, of money Americans are spending on dental care services. So that's a, I'd say that's demand, right? Yeah. So they were spending, they were increasing their spend year over year by 4%. By 4% from the 80s, the 90s, like, Year over year, Americans are like veneers are a thing now. Take my money. Implants are a thing now. Take mm-hmm. my money. In-office whitening. Take my money. Right? We're expanding our services, and Americans are like, "This is great. Let's do this." Then, around two thousand and two, it started to change. The increase that increase flattened out a little bit. It only increased by about two percent per year. Mm-hmm. Right now, at this t- throughout this whole period, the supply of dentists is relatively flat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the demand for our care and the early odds started to change. Why we one can speculate, no, no one knows for sure, but around 2002 it started to change. It only increased by two percent per year. And what else increases light like clockwork by two percent every year? Money CPI. Yeah, inflation, cost of new business exactly right. So our dentist earnings started to peter out a little bit, but we're still strong. And then of course, since 2008, um, somewhat related to the Great Recession, the spend on dental care services has been relatively flat relatively. What also happened in that year was the supply of dentists started to increase, in part because we had a, lo- a bunch of people that were dentists about to retire. The Great Recession hit, and they're like, eh, "I'm going to keep this going for another couple of years." But we also started to see, perhaps coincidentally, a number of new dental schools begin to open. up. So this is all a perfect storm for DSOs to come in, and you know, there's, there's, this, 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 we could go on and on about how those, just those those three factors, supply demand and average dentist earning have just those alone so have-
0: supply has gone up demand has stayed flat, flat
2: where we've seen upticks in demand this is important to look at where if you look at these curves now like what is the demand what is the amount of, of of money being spent on dental care in the u.s we've seen some some helpful numbers it certainly hasn't gone down but where there's two groups that are spending more money on dentistry it's kids thanks in part thanks in part to medicaid Increases. We've seen some more increases and in, in better coverage in Medicaid in, in state levels. Now that doesn't really help many of us. And the other group that's seen upticks in spend is wealthy seniors. Not all seniors, wealthy seniors, retired, no no insurance plans, and uh, you know they, they they need more sophisticated dentistry. So if you're faced with the uh, with the, with the, with, the, with that information that I just given you, I think it's more important than ever before for us to distinguish ourselves and to think about target markets whom we wish to serve, who we can take really good care of, who do we like to see, right? I if you like to see blue collar workers, then yeah, they take some, you know, that's MetLife and it's Delta's couple plans in your local neighborhood and they're just like low key patients and they're like easy breezy, yeah doc, whatever you say doc. If that's the kind of practice you want, you can go crush it with that. Right? If on the other hand, you want to have a more fee-for-service practice, great. You got to earn that. I know you, got, you I'm sure you guys preach this all the time. You can't just say, well, I'm fee-for-service, poof, right? <laughs> there needs yeah, to be exactly. a, like a lot of thought that goes into building that that fee-for-service business model. And then even then, what kind of, is it cosmetic fee-for-service? Is it just doing good bread and butter family dentistry fee-for-service? Like there's different aspects. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, when I go through this exercise and I have a whole exercise that I go through in, in my lectures. Well, I use restaurants as a backdrop, right? There's a reason why you will happily go to your favorite steakhouse and drop a hundred bucks per person for that meal, and there's a reason why if you were to go to Outback Steakhouse, you would not even, you 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 would never spend a hundred dollars per person at Outback Steakhouse, right? Like that Outback is a different experience, It's got a different target market. That high-end steakhouse and Outback are both selling steak, right? They're selling food that will sustain you, right, at at, at its most basic level. But the experience, the quality of the service, so many of the marketing, all of these things change Mm -hmm. that high-end fancy steakhouse that you love going to to celebrate special occasions and when you just take the family to like Applebee's or, 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 or Outback. So just that the restaurant metaphor is how I start to teach dentists to understand like not all restaurants are the same, right? No, of course not. They are able to, to command different prices and and have different marketing and different infrastructures to to that add up to what their business model is. Well, the same goes for dental practices. We should not try to be everything to everyone. Think about how your practice can be something very special for target demographics.
1: I wonder if that that number that's really helpful the amount that's being spent. On dental care, you mentioned that uh, Medicaid is uh, added into that. I wonder what they're doing with the 750 million plus being spent on direct to consumer orthodontics, for example. Oh, I know yeah. SDC. I was just googling it. Uh, SDC is like 750, I think, in revenue. And then there's a handful of others. I can't speak to their numbers, but mm-hmm. is that being tracked in the expenditure? Is that coming out of the dental expenditure?
2: Yeah, I don't. I'm not because sure because that's they that's they growing. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I don't think that there was a spend on in 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 dental practices per se, but it quite possibly could have been. I have to look at that. That's been an interesting call out.
1: You no, know, but you know what I mean? Cause that that's likely we're not ma- we're not getting involved in what they're doing, but that's likely to grow based on what we've all seen. You know, when, the, when these companies came out, you know, I remember having feelings like, Oh, that, I don't think that people will actually do that. Like, and that they are, the market's showing us that they're, that, um, that they they are doing that. So I, I wonder how that affects dental spending and if that takes away market share from dentists, you know, long-term. Mm-hmm. If patients are ultimately going to say like, eh, I don't really need to do all that x-ray stuff and all that. I just would go down this local place.
2: Well, my, my comments to the direct-to-consumer stuff is, uh, you know, it's kind of like mall whitening actually it's a lot like mall whitening it's just which i was is- also
1: stunned that was the was thing when that came yeah. out
2: oh yeah 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 and it, it one's happening in the mail and one's happening in the mall but the point is nice. is that non-dentists essentially are are uh in the case of mall whitening they're not even necessarily hygienists or or you know it's just it's a person that they're paying you know ten dollars an hour and they put a white lab coat on so you know they're sitting in a in a, in a, in a you know they're in a mall kiosk and they're providing that service The reason it works in part is because the consumer, and they're not patients, the consumer in this case thinks that they're getting the same service that they would get in your office. Oh, I sit in front of a light in in a dental practice, or I sit in front of Mm -hmm. a light in a mall. One is a lot less. I'll just do that. Now, we know that it's not the same. Like there's actually a quality difference there, right? The amount of the, the prescription strength. Whitening agents are not being used in the mall. They're just using the stuff you can buy in a store, but they give the experience of having this high-end spa-like whitening that you would get in a dental practice. So I think there's a really valuable lesson there. How do we help teach our patients that even if you're getting a similar experience to what you think you would get here, it really isn't the same because of the quality of the materials that are used or because... They're just faking this experience. It's not actually real. I think that we can talk until we're blue in the face about you know, state practice acts and we'll watch like our patients' eyes roll back in their head as we're like, Oh, yeah. No, you on. don't understand you guys. Like it's dentistry should be done by dentists. Okay. Oh, no, no, like no, no, forget no, it. No, no, no. They don't no, no. care. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's care.
1: that's an interesting point to make is like we are over. <laughs> we have more confidence and understanding of our abilities than the consumer does. So these things that come around, whether it's mall whitening or the the myriad of different uh, direct to consumer things, what I've learned is the consumer actually believes they're more protected than they are, Mm -hmm. you know, people, especially in in America, they actually believe that, you know, that, that their state agencies and things that protect them. And they're probably not as it's a little bit more caveat emptor buyer beware on that. And if anything, it's made me realize the average patient, because I have highly intelligent friends that have used all the services we just described, inclusive of ball whitening, and it makes me realize, okay, I'm the only one who really cares about this stuff. The consumer just does not. They're like, how much does it cost? Is it convenient? And can I get in right away? And as dentists, we're not thinking that, well, I don't want to tell you what the cost is I got to examine your whole case and oh you're 42 you're 46 what's the difference you know, like why can't we make, why are we making it so confusing for patients to, mm-hmm. to get the services they want so that's what the other businesses are figuring out like, hey dentist you be a dentist we'll, we'll make it more convenient for your patient, which yeah. I think is interesting.
0: Chris, I want to go back to your target market thing for a second because I think it's fascinating. I think there's there's lots of levels that you can keep kind of unpacking that, and that'll help you define who who you who you are. But I think so many practices don't know their target market, right? Because they've been told like it should be everybody. A get as many get as many new patients as possible. Right, and when you stand for, you know, when you stand for nothing, or I guess you stand for, yeah, you stand for nothing, you fall for anything, kind of thing, right? So if they don't know who they're tar- marketing to, they're just, I don't know, I'll just take them all, I'll just take them all. I'm busy, I'm, you know, I'm I've got geriatrics, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got kids, you know, I'm just taking it all. It's just, it's, it's getting butts in the chair. Yeah. And I think that takes a different level of swagger to start defining, like, all right, well, you know what, we really don't do that, and here's our, here's our, here's our people. But I think once you do define that, meaning the experience you just talked about from the restaurant, are you the Outback? Are you are you you know a Ruth Chris? Or are you a a, fine, a finer steakhouse? Yeah, that helps you. From I think it helps a your team know who you are, right? Your culture I think benefits from something like that. I think to the the second thing you get to benefit from is is your marketing. It's a lot it's a lot more inexpensive and a lot more effective, in my opinion, to market to exactly who you know who you are right or who you're trying to attract yep. um and um but so many of us so many of us just don't know well i don't know my target market is right it's not because we get asked this from polls like oh what's your what's your what's your uh what's your perfect patient like i'm like yeah. you know is it vision? a vision per- they don't have a, it's vision a 45 for year old woman right like and they say no no i can't you know it's so confusing right target market i think is so confusing in dentistry um So
2: it's, it's it's fun. It's basic marketing education, but we just don't think of it. And it makes sense. If you start to research it, there's, there's great books like Business Model Generation by Osterwalder that I highly recommend. That help us go through that exercise it starts with what your target demographic is I urge dental practices to think about say two three different types of of their typical patients that they love to see it's busy business people it's soccer moms it's it's these broad Mm -hmm. categories we're not thinking about dentistry we're thinking about personality types Um, it's a fun exercise it's one you can do with your teams too come up with what those are and then the next step is what's the unique selling proposition so yep. and i won't go into the whole conversation here it's all it's believe me it's a, it's a full day course but you say all right if you're a busy if you're trying to target busy business people as your target demographic there's a lot of them in your area it's who you like to treat they tend to need cosmetic stuff blah 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 great well what does that person want from their dental visit hmm. that you can provide that no one else is provided and you start to think of what that is it's flexible business hours right it's having a, a very nice reception area that isn't filled with children's toys, right? Like and time is them.
0: their pain point, right? So right. stressing, time is their like, pain point. They, yeah. you
2: better be seeing them on time and getting them out mm-hmm. early. You better have lunchtime appointments. You better have evening appointments, right? Mm-hmm. You start to put together what this looks like uh, very quickly. I think it's fun to think about this stuff. Yeah. And as you come up with a few target demographics, you start to see, oh, well, it turns out we don't need to do this mm-hmm. stuff over here, marketing efforts or what hours and days of the week we keep. Like this is not for the two or three types of people we, we identified. This stuff is what we need to double down on. And so, you know, how you create your practice, your office hours, your infrastructure, what materials and services you provide, all of these things start to, you get a clear picture on it. But once you yeah, identify it's really, it's that vision, too.
1: Though, too, it's like, yeah. like I, I always harp on this, be like, you know, I want to practice like this, or I want to practice like that. Well, do you like doing these types of services? No, I really don't. I really like where, you know, like you said, the blue yeah. collar, like that could be a very fulfilling thing. Like being in a blue collar area. Cause they're like, yes, doctor, anything you say it's low, 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 low stress. headache, low stress, yeah, stress. Everybody's yeah. super appreciative, but that shapes everything. What hours, what location, what does it look like? Yeah. What, mm-hmm. what does it stand for? What are your values? Everything is shaped on that. So when I hear like patient target demographic, I'm thinking vision, like what do you want this to look like in five or 10 years? And that's something that people just don't get because everybody hijacks other people's visions. And there's so many consultants out there or dental consultants that are like, this is what you gotta do. This is exactly oh, yeah. what you gotta do. And I'll this challenge is- them on
2: that. I, I I agree with you. I think that that if a consultant isn't isn't doing that, if they're if they're just saying your practice should look like this. They know yes. the playbook on how to make your practice look like this. Right. You're going to practice three days a week and it's right. only going to be free for service and it's only going to be this. Right. Well, right. that that may speak to you, but we also have to look into whether or not you actually want to live that lifestyle, what it really looks like, and is it even sustainable in, in your particular practice, right? If you're on, you're, we know how 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 geographically specific uh some of these opportunities can be right. you can't have a fee-for-service high-end cosmetic practice in on the quote-unquote the wrong side of the tracks whatever of that means, of to, course right like you can have you it, those are people that need to be treated too you can
1: but it'll be like growing corn in the desert it'll be right. really freaking hard right. you can do it yeah like you want to you have it. a
2: high-end cosmetic practice on the quote-unquote wrong side of the tracks it just may not be free for service or, or mm-hmm. maybe it can be maybe there's or, a way or to you might have to work. do advanced
1: marketing and staycation or destination dentistry but the point is that we're yes. trying to make and i think we're it's very important i'm glad we're covering it so so in depth is that know thyself i always say that i mean it's a, it's a, the stoic quote know thyself what do you want to do because everybody will get take your money and tell you what you should do You get three operatories, and then you work in this practice, and then one five miles away, and then go to these five steps and five lectures. And it's just we're really doing people a disservice because it's the science of achievement, but the art of fulfillment. Scientifically, anybody can teach you how to make a cake, but maybe you don't even like cake. So you're following this recipe, and you're like, I don't even like chocolate cake. I'm allergic to chocolate cake, but don't bake the whole cake. Sit down and eat it to find out you hate it. Figure out what you want first, and that's where I think the patient demographic is that key that that's the that's when you turn the lights on like oh wait i don't know what you know i kind of like you know, i do like the blue collar people okay great fantastic that we know that about you because yeah. some people get very uncomfortable you could be, want to be a high-end cosmetic dentist but not really like dealing with affluent people you get intimidated by them so imagine Absolutely. that it's like you're exactly. a mercedes-benz repairman but you don't like dealing with affluent people who own mercedes yeah so it might be better. You might, might, might want to work on Ford trucks. You like those people better. It's okay. Yeah. But I think it's
0: important, Chris. Like you're saying, is knowing that knowing which you want to target, right? And then and then putting out the attractant for that. Meaning we talked yeah. about the business person is is this right? Maybe if it's the blue collar example, maybe it's just like wholesome dentistry done at a fair price. Like you know, maybe that's yep. the narrative. So, but like if that sets the tone for how you attract, you know, more more of your your bees with your honey kind of thing metaphorically. Yep. Um, let's, uh, let's pivot into, um, let's go with more into the consolidation pathway. Cause that's, that's very top of mind to a lot of dentists right now. Um, as a matter of fact, I had this fascinating conversation, you guys, um, I went to a, a, a first grade, uh, party. It was full of adults, but it was a first grade party for my, my kid's school. And I have two in first grade right now. So I met a dentist there. Um, and I obviously won't say her name or anything, but it was just fascinating that this is kind of what. The industry is thinking about consolidation. And uh, so we were having a conversation and, and, I, and she said, I practice over here, um, you know, but I really like doing the dentistry, so to speak. I said, great. You know, like, you know, when I was kind of goofing around, I was like, you want to sell it to me? Kind of thing. Like just because, you know, I'm an Hmm. entrepreneurial dentist and just, you know, just being funny. And you just can't help yourself, Pete. I can't help myself sometimes. Sometimes I'm just, you know, just a jerk, I guess. Anyway. (laughs) And the conversation went, she was like, well, sure. If you give me seven and a half million dollars. I was like, okay, well, that was, that was
1: interesting for a number. 7.49 actually.
0: And I was, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, so interesting. Well, maybe, but like, what, tell me more about the practice. She's like, well, it's doing 2.2. And I was like, so you went let me get this right. You, you want 300% of top line revenue. She said, well, yeah, that's what the DSOs are paying now. Don't you know?
1: And I was like, okay. Did you so get the number? Was, Did you get that number of the DSO that's paying three and a half? Yeah. Right. I was like, well, show
0: revenue. me where, cause that would be. A, a, so I don't know, uh, Chris, I'm going to go on a tangent here. Cause I actually want to do a podcast about this is that no one cares. No DSO cares about your top line number right? Yes, that is the attractant going back to what we were just talking about. We are their target market, like, oh, hey, we'll get them in with 200% top line revenue. But ultimately it's all about net profitability, right? That's just how business people do stuff. So I just think it's just fascinating that we're getting all of these kind of mixed messages. Some dentists are almost getting romantic about the idea of consolidation because these quote unquote business people are just paying way more. I know. I just went on a rant. Well, Chris, they're they're sorry. not. I've, it's I've, just I've got him he, stunned he, in his podcast room. I think. Just well, like, the,
1: what the hell is he talking about? No, no, he's checking his <laughs> email. It's fine. But no, I'm kidding, Chris. But, but what it is is that the average dentist does not know their profitability. The average right. dentist cannot report to you their EBITDA or their net profit. They don't. They may not even understand that. They, they
2: don't have but, the sl- yeah. They don't have the slightest idea. What they, they don't, and
1: also they don't pay, like the average dentist is a solo practicing dentist does not pay himself an associate wage. So he'll tell you something like my overhead is 50%. Or her. Or her. Yeah, sorry, I'm using him in, in, in a general sense. He, using he your pronouns. His, yeah. They don't understand what, because they, they are not paying themselves an associate wage. So they do a million dollars as a total production a collection of the practice, and they have a 50% overhead. And they're like, I have a 50% overhead. Well, if they had to hire a dentist, that dentist would not work for free. They'd have to pay them between 25 and 35% whatever the numbers are, 38%. And then they'd really attribute their net profitability at 15% in that case. So they don't even understand these numbers. So I think it's really a great attractant, as we were saying, to just send a flyer out like that and then do a quality of earnings and kind of add it all back. And by that yeah, point- get
0: them to already have spent the money on something, right, and said like, oh, well, damn, they're going to give me this and then come back with a quality of earnings that says, here's what your practice is actually worth, right? So we we of- said seven, but we meant two.
2: Yeah. So first of all, I think that, again, adding to the list of the things I should have taught in dental school, a basic profit and loss understanding ah, is, is beautiful. It boggles be the first my mind. It boggles my mind. We don't teach that. Um, and I'll, I'll do a quick anecdote. I, I, I teach about gross profit margin, which is a relatively novel concept in dentistry. You know, if you ask people what your your margin is on a crown, like they'll tell you what their lab cost is, but they don't know impression material, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going through this concept with with, with in an audience, and I, I once had a dentist uh, say to me, um, you know, yeah, you know, but you just got to get someone in the chair. You know, going back to the the busyness question. I'm like, all right, but let me put it this way: if it costs you a hundred dollars to do a thing, and you're only getting fifty dollars in revenue, you shouldn't do that thing. And he's like, Yeah, but you're making the fifty dollars. I'm like, no, right. no, no. Oh, no this it's costing better. you a hundred. Like you're losing $50 to do this. Like, but you're making the $50. Like, no, my God, no, you're not. Oh, you don't get it.
1: (laughs) So Chris, you know what I'll tell people? I'm like, do you really like doing that thing? Like Botox is usually one that comes up because it's bought at $5 a unit and sold at seven. like, but there's overhead on that, you know? So, So I will go through this thing. I'm like, well, do you really love doing Botox? Yeah, I really love it. I'm like, good. Do you love skiing too? Yes, I love that too. Which do you like more? Because they're both costing you money. So to see that patient that you lose $50 on, he really loves it maybe. And that's fine. We all do. We do charity work. I mean, but just call it what it is. That procedure that you do that costs you. Well, that doesn't
0: cost you money, but from a time adjusted perspective, you're, you are right. Right. Well, I I happen
1: to be friends with one of the largest Allergan account holders. He's a KOL for Allergan. He says Botox, if I was a dentist and I had a clean, an ability to bring people in the office for a revenue producing procedure, like cleanings, you guys are so lucky because you're seeing your, your customer over and over and over. He's like, I have no other way. So I have to do the Botox because right. invariably I'll talk to them about their blepharoplasty or this or that. So it's a lost leader and it's actually worth it. But right. Botox as a revenue generator, he's like, I will tell you right now, no chance, no chance, no chance. It doesn't make you a dollar. That's so and I, mean, I
0: can tell did, you this from someone who's done a tremendous amount of it. No chance. you make. Well, not that.
1: as much as he's has. I mean, he's well, no, buying. I'm
0: saying as a dentist doing it is what oh, yeah. I'm trying to say. But
1: dentists <laughs> love it. I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's
2: sexy because it's sexy. I right? know
1: it's awesome
2: oh man they all have these visions of doing botox parties like around their cleanings or whatever and it's just
1: champagne and yeah soccer moms it's gonna be great they come back
2: yeah well but so i i wanted to answer your consolidation question i think that is kind of interesting right now um and and full disclosure tend is a de novo only uh Mm. dso by structure we're de novo only we're not smart practices (laughs) it's a night well it's a it's it's it's, it's a business model and we're also only in urban locations. So we're not looking to expand if you wanted to sell me a practice in suburban, wherever I, I, we're we're not doing that. We're only, we're only growing by, uh, by starting to practice. But anyway, uh, that being said, I've followed this quite a bit over the past years, as you can imagine. And I think right now it is a, I mean, from a financial reward standpoint, yeah, there are dentists that are able to get a multiple of EBITDA, for their practice it is more likely the case though if you own a couple of practices or three Mm -hmm. practices if they're all in the same practice management software like there's a there's a you know a box boxes you can check for the one-off sale of a practice i don't think it's making anyone super rich right so if you're a dentist and you're 15 years away from retirement right so let's say you're 50 you want to retire at 65 you're 50 and you sell your practice to a DSO, and I'm speaking very broadly here. Yes, of course. You're not going to make retirement money from that sale. It, you're not unless you have a mega powerhouse practice in which case you maybe probably just want to hold on to that
0: what would define mega like can you give just in your opinion and again so this is i always just...
2: hear that that many dso's will not look at a practice unless the gross is a million now they go to your point into far more sophisticated calculations like even mm. than that but just as a you know benchmark test the water kind of a thing if you're at if you're grossing six hundred thousand dollars a year at the dso mo- many dso's won't even look to touch the practice they just they, and honestly it's that's not worth their time they have so many practices that they right. can look at it's a goldmine right. of baby boomers retiring they have so many practices they look at they're like let's just get rid of these ones right now and mm-hmm. focus on the others um for single doc five day four or five day a week practice if you're at 1.2 and above like you're doing really darn well I'd say there are plenty of DSOs that will be excited to sit down and buy you lunch. but are you going to make like an insane amount of money from that sale of that practice I don't think so no you're you're going to get you'll make nice money but it's also going to be contingent you're going to have to work there for a period of time you're going to be paid in dribs and drabs over that period of time and don't be surprised. Uh, and again, I'm speaking broadly. I don't, I'm not making disparaging remarks about any DSOs, but there are plenty of stories that anyone can go ahead and look up where that what was promised in the sale of the practice isn't what became reality. Mm-hmm few years after that sale happened for a various callbacks reasons, like certain yeah. benchmarks not being right yeah callback well, look
1: at look at it like if if the act if you're that retiring dentist what about the 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 guys who are retirement age that want to sell and they have a five-year earnout and they get sick or they get tired or the the team quits i mean there's other factors beyond the corporation and the doc, you gotcha. know the doctor's nuances there's nuances well to
0: chris what was interesting about the comment the story that i gave at the party and i was like you know what, i'm not i'm not actually going to start comment back because i don't want to get an argument with this person (laughs) because it was just, there was, there was just so much disconnect. And, but I said, look, I wanted to kind of say to her, is that like they are, these, these are not charitable people. These are business people. And if someone's trying to buy you for 300% of top line revenue, that's probably equal to about 12 X. If I had to do a uh, do an estimation and a well run practice, mm-hmm. they're not buying you. They're, therefore, there is no leverage in what they're buying. Meaning, there is no arbitrage. They want to buy you for three times of earnings and roll you up and sell for ten to twelve. The money is in the leverage and the arbitrage. It's not in. It's not in. Hey, we think you're a great single location practice. Like we we really have to have you. That's not the game. And I think that's that's where unfortunately we are getting this narrative from you know, and and good for them, like, hey, we'll attract you with this. But then, you know, oh, by the way, you're only going to get 50% of this money up front. Oh, by the way, your earnings were not as good as we thought they're gonna be. Oh, by the way, you're gonna have to stay on four years. Oh, by the way, if you don't stay this profitable, the money is going to go down by by very considerable too. So there's all these contingencies that we just don't know about. But all we heard was 300% of top line revenue or 200%. And that is the thing that just makes me almost sick to my stomach because uh, yeah. So I don't know. I know you're not, I know you're not, you know, you're de novo and you're not in that game. So you can speak very uh, agnostically, right. Because you're not, you're, you're, but I'm seeing this conversation more and more and more, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we are getting, we are getting super
1: frothy too, though, Peter. Like everything's crazy. Like this is just a very, this is a snapshot in time where things are just incredibly. I mean, ninety dollars sheets of plywood, and it's it's all fairy tale, and money is so cheap. That's come
0: back now, Craig. Yeah, it's coming.
1: It is. It is. What I what I'd be curious, um, because I think that gets worse before it gets better. That those dialogues, you know, especially as things um, get get even frothier towards the. To, as time goes on, but what I'd be curious, Chris, is you know you spent a lot of time in the industry and obviously spent a lot of time deliberating on the posi- on your potential position with tend. What is your and Peter and I have been hearing this forever because we, we got out of school before you did. Um, but the era of the solo practice is dwindling and dying, and consolidation is an in inevitability. I'd love to hear, you know, because right now, according to the ADA and at least the at least latest data that I've seen, is the majority of dentistry is still practiced as a solo, single, independently owned uh, fragmented business. fragmented industry. Still, yeah.
2: yes, yeah, uh, cottage industry, if you will. Yeah. Yes, so the majority of 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 Uh, dentists are still working well there's a couple ways you slice it number of dentists who are practice owners and and Mm -hmm. number of practices that are owned by here's the cleanest data from the ada is um i want to say it's like sev 60 70 percent the closer to 70 percent of practices are owned by dentists not dso somewhere in that neighborhood uh check local listings whatever but the, in terms of number of dentists, it's about 10% of dentists working in the U.S. work for some, some form of DSO.
1: That's it. Just 10%.
2: Just 10%. It's That's growing. Me. I mean, that number's going up. So you look at number of practices or you look at number of dentists. What, it, what we have seen some decline in uh, over the past few years, this is uh, some some late, latest uh, breaking ADA research, the number of practice owners who are solo practice owners is declining, it's about 50%. So if you look at the number of dentists who own practices, 50% of those dentists are solo. And what, so what's increasing then is the number of partnerships or small group practices yeah that's Um, interesting which includes myself like my own practice that i ran for years it was was a partnership so i wouldn't be included in that statistic Mm -hmm. it wasn't a a true solo business owner so you still have dentistry that is uh so what, what does this all mean i think that the future of private practice is still very strong i think that we have uh because there's a market for it because we have thankfully we have patients who have a high dental iq and they have They want to go to a Ruth's Chris, right? They don't want they want to go to a a high end or a nicer, you know, uh, uh, have a nicer oral health experience. And they don't want to go to. um, uh, uh, There are dentists who, who, sorry, patients who just who 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 want have who have certain needs that aren't being met with whatever other business models DSO or otherwise uh, around them are are trying to provide. So I see the, the the future of private practice be very strong. I think we'll continue to see the dentists who are private practice owners whether it's solo or in a small group or a partner or whatever, I think that they will absolutely continue to need to be more entrepreneurial and think about their business models and think about these profitability and these things that we're talking about. It is harder for someone to just hang up a shingle and have unmitigated success and and buy a boat and, and, a, and a third house. Like that is harder to do as a dentist if you're just winging it. But if you're smart about it, I think you absolutely can can accomplish those things in a private practice model. And I don't care who opens up across the street from you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it's a big DSO with lots of marketing dollars. Amen. They're going to be marketing to someone and you could be marketing to someone else and it'll be fine.
1: I agree with that. Well, one question I had for you is, you know, obviously you got all these statistics that you're in, 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 your, in your right, right off the tip of your tongue. And I'm curious, the three statistics that you mentioned um, earlier is, do you have a statistic to show dentists take, or do you know of one where it's dentists take home earnings and how that's doing over time.
2: Yeah. ADA has got that. So I would urge, and you and I, we can connect offline. I can get you the, the link, but, um, ADA health policy Institute, that's all free material. Anyone can access it, go to ADA health policy Institute, look at their research briefs. Um, they have journal articles. Those are great, but look at the research briefs. They're, they're just nice little pieces of research. Um, and you'll see them cover a whole range of topics, and uh, dentist earnings is one that they look very closely at. So. Yeah,
1: because according to what I saw, I saw it was it was it was trending downward. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm just curious how those three statistics you mentioned interact and affect the DSO consolidation idea. How how did those three statistics? Oh, they definitely about-
2: influence. They definitely, you know. Dentist income is kind of a, a, a lagging one in a sense, right? Like you're, you have to be a dentist for a few years and say, geez, I'm not making what I thought I would make. And so therefore, you may be considered uh, as you get more seasoned joining with the DSO. Um, I think the a leading statistic, though, a leading measure would for, and this is for dentists that are just graduating, is is debt, right? There are students who think I'm in too much debt to buy or start a practice, and that's hogwash. They're being told that sometimes by recruiters for TSOs for obvious reasons. Um, but sometimes even I hear dental school faculty, who should know better, uh, saying, "Oh, you're in too much debt. This is an expensive school. You just have to you have to go. You you don't have the choice. If you want to work at a DSO, go ahead and do that. There are DSOs. I, I like to think that TEND is one of them that are that are taking really good care of their providers, and encouraging them, and truly supporting them, not interfering with the doctor-patient relationship. And it's a great practice experience for those doctors, whether they want to choose to be here for a short period of time, or a long period of time. But you shouldn't choose any career pathway." military, working at an FQHC, working at a DS, whatever pathway you choose, it should not be based upon your student debt. Because Agreed. you can absolutely get a loan to buy or start a practice today. And that's one of the most encouraging economic factors and forces that that I, we see today is that wells fargo and pnc you know the you know the players that they are still writing loans 100 percent plus financing for dentists as long as you know there's criteria you have to show that you've you know practiced dentistry for a couple of years and not killed anyone you know that kind of thing but mm-hmm. uh they're absolutely still writing 100 percent plus financing to buy or start practices that is the engine that keeps private practice alive and well
1: Right. I also think the narrative, you know, obviously there's DSOs pumping their nav- narrative, but I do believe that the narrative that um, your practice is going to be a retirement vehicle and it's going to pave your way for retirement, that's also false. So imagine right. a, a guy who works, a guy or gal who works for a DSO and does well and saves well and buys income producing property or diversifies in the stock market. They have a diversified asset portfolio and they've un- they've delevered their salary and the retirement strategy. So one reason why people get really, really wealthy is they have consolidation. One reason why people lose everything, they have consolidation. So if you're working at a DSO or an adult practice and you're a well-paid associate and you're spending less or if you're saving more than you spend and you're diversifying yourself you may wind up finding yourself in a better position than that majority solo owner doctor that, that absolutely they think. Correct. yeah so that's absolutely correct and i think there's shame in that you'll hear like oh i'm just an associate i don't own you know and there's the shame and there shouldn't be no. because it's like if you can make a good living and and, and be smart with your money you can mm-hmm. wind up being very far better off than borrowing from well you know the big banks and opening up your own practice
2: that's absolutely correct and I'm glad you say that, you know, and i I think that we we came up around the time that d s o s were something you never heard of to now, like and I talk to to dental students all the time they're at major dental events and 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 dental student events recruiting, so we were around this time of never heard of it to oh my gosh they're they're everywhere are they taking over kind of 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 fear and I think some of them will, some of the more established and seasoned dentists do have this um uh, downward-looking opinion on DSOs. Mm-hmm. It's gotten Agreed. better. It's gotten better, um, but I still think we have a long way to go, and and I think it's up to, to people in our generation to to continue that positivity. So for the new dentists that are working or the seasoned dentists that are working in DSO, it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, it, yep. shouldn't, be, it, it shouldn't be... I agree. It's gotten
0: time. way better. Even in the past couple of years, I've seen there, there's a pivot, because actually, you know, to benefit of you guys, like people like yourself coming on that are doing high-quality kind of concepts versus just aggregation roll-ups where it used to be just this, just, you know, anything and it's a race to the bottom and profit first over people kind of thing. And now that that's changing. Now you're going into, you know, DSOs knowing, going back to what you're saying, their target market, their experience, who they want to find and, and really being, you know, and being dentist led. A lot of them are now dentist led like, like yours. So um, we
2: should look down upon unethical treatment of patients you know quotas and all these other kinds of distasteful things that that we think interfere with the doctor-patient relationship, unethical treatment of doctors and and providers. We should look down upon those things, but they can just as easily happen in private practice as they can. Of course,
1: sure. Sometimes more, sometimes more. You work for <laughs> some like duct tape DSO with like two locations, they can get away a lot with a lot more than a regional DSO with fifty, you know, eighty, you know, multiple locations. They actually they run their practices oftentimes better than some of these guys that are tucked away in strip malls too. Right. So. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's, um I think as time goes on, uh, there'll be more uh, customized DSOs that have go to market strategies that suit the unique uh, desires of individual dentists. And what I, my hope is that there's no shame that people can have great careers. I mean, listen, when's the last time you heard a doctor saying like a, me- a medical professional? Well, I'm, I'm just an associate at the Cleveland Clinic. I don't own right. the Cleveland <laughs> right. Clinic. You just wait to, you know, you work at the Cleveland Clinic. <laughs> You know, like every dot. No medical doctor says, "Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just, just work at the hospital. I don't own it." Like, dude, you work at freaking, yeah. You know, yeah. So it's just, it's interesting. There's so much shame in dentistry that doesn't need to be there. So, I'm I'm hoping that if someone's listening today and they hear that, that they can release a little bit of that. It's great to have um, a job and an investment strategy that are decoupled from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for us business owners, you know, if a hurricane or a flood rolls through or a fire rolls through your business, that's, that's, it's different than just having, uh, your, your wages being affected, but your retirement strategy as well. It's not, not always a fun feeling. Yeah. Amen. Well, cool. Chris, I, really I know appreciate- you're busy, but yeah. you thank
0: you for your time, man. I, uh, oh, I've been, great. I'm glad to really connect you. After I've, like I said, I've heard about you my entire career and, um, you know, and I know you're you got a lot going on and I appreciate you taking time out of her day to talk talk to just us. Oh, Talk it's been good. my
2: pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Hopefully we'll, uh, now that the world is opening up again, we'll bump into each other at a meeting or something. Yeah, totally. be great.
1: And uh, good luck with Tend. I mean, from an outsider looking in, I'm really fascinated about what you guys are doing. It definitely feels very unique and different. So I think Tend is lucky to have a guy like you. And I know under your stewardship, it's going to go even further. So Thanks, uh, I'm excited to be interacting with what you're up to and what Tend's doing in the future. I'm excited for that. Cheers. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Take care.
2: Take care.